Welcome to the Band of Brothers Cycling Podcast. In this series, we talk about the biggest races in cycling and how we prepare for them and give you some insight into the personalities within the team. Hi everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of the Band of Brothers podcast. I'm Steph, one of the team's press officers, and today we've got Marco Huller, who is back by popular demand, this time to talk all things Paris-Roubaix. So Marco, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hi everyone. And welcome also to my colleague Andreas Hartmann. Hello again. As one of the oldest races on the calendar and one of the five monuments, Paris-Roubaix is an incredibly important day in the cycling season. First held in 1896, this weekend we'll see the 119th edition of the famed Cobbled Classic. The Hell of the North, the Queen of the Classics, whatever you prefer to call it. This year we'll see the first spring edition of Roubaix since 2019 on a course that's remained largely unchanged from previous years. That is just over 257 k's with no less than 54.8 kilometers of cobbles. The race opens with almost 100 k's of flat, smooth asphalt, which often makes for around two very tense hours of racing before the cobbled onslaught, in which teams will be jostling for position at the front of the peloton in preparation for the very first cobbles. As the riders make their way up north to Roubaix, they'll take on a total of 30 cobbled sectors, each which differs in distance and difficulty. This has led to the creation of a starred rating system, with sectors rated from one to five stars according to their level of difficulty, length and the roughness of their cobbles. There are three five-star sectors, with the mythical forest of Arenberg being the first. This 2.3k stretch comes after just over 160 kilometers in the saddle, and it's here that riders with aspirations should be well positioned to avoid getting caught up in crashes. The other five-star sector that we should mention is the Carrefour de l'Arbre, which comes in at 16.5 k's remaining. At almost 2,090 meters long, it's known for its tricky sloped corners, again a point in the race where contenders may find one of their very last opportunities to make a decisive move. The race then comes to its often dramatic conclusion in the Roubaix Velodrome, where after a series of variables have no doubt withered down the peloton, the winner will hold his cobbled trophy aloft. It's a race that's often hard to predict. Where to win, you need to be both strong and have the luck of avoiding race-threatening crashes and mechanicals. So it's definitely not going to be easy this weekend. And on that note, let's bring in Marco to find out more. So first of all, Marco, with Roubaix coming, we're in the middle of two big monuments at the moment, Flanders and Liège. So Liège is obviously quite different from the other two, but Flanders and Roubaix are also pretty unique from each other in their own ways. Can you explain how exactly they differ in terms of riding them, the fans, the type of rider that you have to be, and the most important skill sets that you need to have? Um, well, to, to, to keep it simple, the most obvious uh, difference of uh, those two would probably be the, the altitude meters, obviously, in Flanders uh, with all the hellings and the little uh, steep climbs, as we call them. Um, you have uh, a lot of meters to climb also, by, while uh, Roubaix is uh, technically more uh, the flatter version uh, of these two. But... Uh, If you haven't been there yourself, like uh, in television, you might think uh, cobbles are cobbles, right? But uh, those in uh, northern France, they are worse. They are brutal, they are cruel, they are bigger, more gaps, and they hurt more when you crash on it. So in terms of the cobblestone sections, 
there's nothing like Perry Roubaix. And how about the the atmosphere? Because they're each known for having an amazing atmosphere. Which one do you prefer? Which one, or or how can you say that they differ? Yeah, I mean, um, Flanders developed a little bit over the years, I'd say. So obviously, with all these VIP areas, uh, with uh, climbing the Quaremont on three occasions, it's like a little bit like uh, riding through a football stadium, uh, I would guess. While uh, Roubaix still have this mythical uh, aspect of like uh, starting uh, in the north of uh, Paris somewhere. I mean, obviously, we are in Compiègne, but... uh, uh, starting way further down uh, than the finish and we, we keep traveling north and uh, you're just like uh, getting closer step by step and this is also a similar thing maybe with uh, San Remo a little bit where all the tension is uh, is rising or in uh, Roubaix circumstances it's maybe more uh, an elimination race the closer you get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. And which one would you say when you finish, you feel most like you're knackered, like you're most proud to say, thank goodness that's done? That's actually quite easy uh, because this always has to be Roubaix. This uh, uh, velodrome, this is a history of cycling. And when you finally get there, uh, it's uh, undescribable undescribable uh, feeling you get so I think it's actually pretty nice that there is this uh, Roubaix challenge now also for the amateurs that they get a little bit into the feeling uh, uh, we have on on uh, this occasion uh, Marco you've already mentioned that uh, obviously Paris Roubaix is A to B and um, the whole the whole course is basically divided in in two sections there's a first part which is um, on big roads and then uh, the real deal starts the the cobbles start and can you feel a different vibe in the bunch on the first part and then a tension that is building up towards the the first couple sections yeah absolutely i mean uh, first of all in the way of uh, the peloton how we are riding like uh, it's uh, the neutral section is always a little bit more relaxed and you're still uh, are covered up in leg warmers maybe even a hat because uh, every now and then it's quite a, a chilly morning uh, in in Compiègne and then uh, the closer we get uh, uh, the the more clothing you get rid of the the tension is rising the speed is building up um every now and then also are some little crashes and uh, then the race is on so the first part is more like a a warm up for the for the final or is it sometimes nervous from the beginning you really need to be careful uh if you say it's only a warm up because uh, if the wind comes from a nasty direction yeah. uh, it can be basically race on from the very beginning and uh, it's also a race uh, where over the years uh uh, history had learned us that uh, being in a breakaway is actually a very good place to be and this makes also the fight to to actually make it into the day's break uh, even harder and therefore usually also the speed is is quite hard for uh, a very long time for example i think it was the 2019 edition where my also then teammate and now teammate nils pollitt uh, eventually came second it was also basically that already before the first cobbles, we formed a, a rather large uh, breakaway 
and uh, although we got caught again at uh, at one place, we we rode away uh, right again. So uh, this is certainly one of those races where you always rather be up in the front. So it's all about positioning again. Like in, in all the classics. In all the classics. And uh, it's always the right moment uh, where you need to be. But when you also now talking about the uh, uh, the characteristics as a rider-wise, maybe you don't need to be as punchy as uh, as in uh, in Flanders because these uh, short little kickers, you need to go uh, into the high watts for many, many times, while uh, in Roubaix you can also be quite successful if uh, you are one of those, as we call them, diesel engines, where you have uh, a high pace for the entire day and never really properly peak, but just go in and go in and go in. Going back to what you said about the cobbles at Roubaix being different and being special, what is it exactly about them. Can you explain it to someone who's never ridden over cobbles like that before? How do you approach them and what does it feel like when you know that the next sector is coming up and you're in the bunch? What does that feel like? Well, obviously it's uh, actually a quite uh, weird thing that we are racing with uh, road bikes and they are called road bikes for a certain reason, I assume, on unpaved roads. Uh, And uh, these cobbles, as I said before, already they are brutal. Obviously, like the the bike is uh, shaking, the chains are jumping, and uh, sometimes it's pretty hard to to keep the bike under control. And uh, just to give you also an uh, imagination of uh, how big the difference between Flanders and Roubaix is, that uh, not really after Flanders, but after Roubaix, you usually get off your bike with uh, blisters, especially if it's a uh, a hot race where it's more dry and uh, also equipment wise we even fine-tune the material more like uh, having the privilege now of uh, being a specialized rider we even get a, a specialized bike uh, for that uh, particular race so it's uh, that one race in the year where our mechanics uh, bring out uh, uh, the Rubeau bikes uh, to rock the road and uh, also the tires they get even wider we are uh, running uh, 32 millimeter tubeless tires so uh, you really try to get assistance wherever you can uh, in terms of the material to make the very unsmooth road a little bit smoother um, there's this amazing old uh, velodrome in Roubaix where the race ends What's going through your head when you're entering the velodrome? Is it something very special in the season? Um, yeah, uh, uh, because of, of, of many, many reasons. So the, the, to, uh, from the perspective now, let's say uh, in, my, in my situation now, like it will be the very last race for the first, let's say, first third of the season. So the, the whole winter we were training for this period we just went through now all the classics all this fighting all the crashes all the sweat everything and Roubaix is kind of uh, the last race for the typical classic riders like the cobbled classic riders obviously there are the audience coming afterwards but this is like the ultimate uh, finish line i would always call it and then also childhood dreams come up obviously because like uh, i've i remember riders like uh, 
uh, Taffy or whatever uh, fighting there uh, uh, towards uh, this famous velodrome and then uh, finishing it there with the, these uh, one and a half laps. And then also like my very first Roubaix where I really had to, to fight uh, super hard to even make it to the velodrome because of crashes and mechanicals. And eventually I arrived, but uh, out of time limit. So this was also uh, probably only in Roubaix you do it to, to fight on uh, that you can really see this uh, famous velodrome. And uh, it's, a, it's a magic place, 100%. So it's a race you definitely wanna want to finish. So definitely. And, and we know you've got some good stories, Marco. So why don't you let loose? What are some of your best memories from the race to date? Well, uh, I mean, the, 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 the absolute highlights I already mentioned before with uh, teaming up with Niels in 2019, where he finished uh, second, or obviously also need to mention last year's Modi edition, where I was a teammate of Sonny Colbrelli and he eventually won. These are certainly the highlights, but... Uh, uh also uh maybe a good uh, a good story is uh that one i had with uh, our now also sport director Thorsten schmidt where uh it was one of i think it was either my first or second periway i think it was my second where i had the mechanical and uh, uh i was dropping back to the car but uh, he refused to give me uh mechanical assistance because uh, obviously like it was way too early in the race to to somehow come back and play a role and uh, he just decided that it was uh, more important to keep also the position of the car uh, to have then uh, actually support for the real leaders while uh, I was just uh, one youngster like uh, on his way to Roubaix, kind of. And uh, no, I mean, uh, now uh, being uh, there with more experience, you obviously understand, but uh, if you are there uh, 21 years old and uh, the window doesn't go up uh, and he doesn't <laughs> even want to talk to you, it just uh, pushes the, the the throttle, then you think, what the hell? But uh, yeah, it definitely makes sense. And uh, another quite uh, funny one, or not so funny one actually, was uh, when... Uh, uh, we had some issues with the handlebar and uh, the handlebar kept uh, uh, kind of falling down on the cobbles like because the screws were kind of loose and uh, but i still had the desire and the absolute dream of uh, making it again to the velodrome so i i refused to give up and i pushed through but then eventually after another 30 40 case of racing uh, i couldn't even see the the helicopter anymore so i said okay now it's time to to step out but it was still too far to the second feed zone so uh i had no other choice of jumping into the broom wagon and uh i think it was i was maybe one or two times in my in the broom wagon in my entire career and that particular day uh, i think it was nos or something actually if someone is listening to this podcast uh, and 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 has the the link of this uh documentary uh, i would be happy to see it again because i think it was a, a dutch television nos which was doing a documentary about the broom wagon of perry roubaix and uh, it was also a year where i think it was uh, the lithuanian guy edvaldo siskevicius where he refused to give up like the 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 whole broom wagon was uh, later on already full like we were all tired and dirty and sweaty and hungry and thirsty and we just wanted to go to the finish line 
but this guy, he kept riding in front of us with like 25k <laughs> per hour and he just wanted to finish this bloody race. And this also gives you an impression of uh, how big it is to just uh, finish the velodrome. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy, it's a little bit of a, a circus actually also when you think about it from a little bit of perspective. It's, it's crazy. It's cool. We haven't heard anything about a documentary of the broom wagon this year, but um, another thing is uh, for sure that Schmitty will be in the car again. And <laughs> um, did you talk to him already? <laughs> uh, How to deal with um, early mechanicals? I, I, I probably should should give him this. <laughs> I probably should give him this little reminder or maybe uh, come up with the story again when we have the tactical meeting also to to give a example to uh, the newcomers in our team uh, that this race <laughs> is not only a bike race but also a car race uh, behind of us yeah. and also fun fact I, I don't know I don't know if uh, if actually the Uh, our audience now knows it, or I don't even know if you uh, uh, know it, Andal, that uh, Paris-Roubaix is the only race, as far as I know, where also uh, where there, there is also a broom wagon for the cars behind us. In case the cars have a mechanical, which is quite often, if there's a flat tire or the damage the, the ground of the car, they can get on the truck and they bring them back to uh, Roubaix. It's crazy. It's it's kind of a second race uh, for the cars also. That's what I've learned already. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So there's, there's basically two races on the teams. <laughs> yep. Um, so we've also got to talk about the showers, not because only of Hans Koller, one of our sponsors, but because they make for some pretty epic pictures after the race. Have you been there or do you prefer to go to the bus? Why do you think this post-race shower has become part of this Roubaix myth? Ah, that's actually a very good question. And uh, I already need to destroy this illusion already right at the beginning that I have never, ever been there. For me, after the race, uh, it's not really about uh, getting the best Instagram shot. It's more about getting, getting my peace and uh, go back to the boss and just uh, calm down a little bit after all the effort. So... Uh, Usually, uh, it's uh, rather the quickest way back to the bus. So you don't want to go one one time to the Roubaix shower? You know, maybe it's a little bit like the, the, the Champions League pot uh, in football where you cannot touch it before you own it. And uh, if one day I win Paris-Roubaix, I'll be in the shower. And uh, so it should be. You have to earn it. Okay. So when you win on on Sunday, then we see you. Then we see you in the in the Roubaix shower. Yeah, yeah. When you when you win it, you get this little uh, how you say this little sign with your name on, and then you you actually also own a shower, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's hope you see me there. One day. Do you know if they have warm showers or are they cold only? I hope they are warm. Marco, how do you think the race will play out on on Sunday? Which which teams do you see that will take control of the race? I actually think uh, Roubaix has the potential of being the most thrilling classic of this year, for the sole fact that uh, you couldn't see dominance of one 
particular rider now. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Pogacar and Van der Poel, they had a big... Uh, head-to-head uh, -head in Flanders and uh, San Remo was a different part but there was still uh, Wout van Aert and these guys uh, who is now also uh, not sure to be able to compete due to COVID so I think it can have a really nice uh, outcome and maybe we have another uh, winner out of surprise and I think this should also be uh, our chance. Yeah, as you just said, it's it's a really open uh, race this year. There's not really a a dominant team for Sunday. Who might uh, take responsibility? Maybe do you see Neos when when Ghana is in good shape? I don't think that they would take uh, responsibility. And also, when you when you see the last uh, years, that it was never really the case that really a team took responsibility because you just don't ride Perry Roubaix like uh, any other race. Uh, it's uh, there are way too many factors and chances that something goes wrong. So you can't really uh, put all your money on one horse. And uh, therefore, I think it will be a quite an open race. And also with uh, teams like. Uh, Uh, Alpha Vinyl Quickstep that they tend to open up the race very early because they have many cards to play but no real favorite. Uh, maybe also Jumbo will play the same uh, tactics and uh, also with uh, Ineos what you just mentioned you have Ghana, you have Pitcock, maybe Van Bale, you know that uh, they also have many options so I think uh, it could be a similar scenario than maybe last year also that uh, if you make it into the Days break, you make it uh, very, very far. And uh, yeah, we'll see. At the moment, it looks, uh, it will be a little bit more dusty than muddy. But uh, it doesn't make it really easier. And how about our team, uh, the riders in our team? And how about you as well? How are you guys feeling? How is your form at the moment heading into the race? Well, and we come, we are exactly on the same page. Like the, uh, we can do it uh, similar, or we should do it uh, similar than we did in Flanders, where we actually rode a very nice race. I would say, like we were always there, we were present in those groups, and obviously, like Flanders is like so super hard. You have no chance to hide. You need to get up Quarimont and Paterberg and Koppenberg and all the on all the rest. But in Roubaix, when you finally made. Uh, the first uh, two, three big uh, selections and you are still there, you actually have a chance to make it all the way. And uh, that's exactly what uh, what our plan will be. We want to be present in groups. We don't want to chase. We want to be up front and we want to stay up front, obviously, but it can go either way. Like uh, you can have like uh, seven DNFs and you can have uh, one guy on the podium of a monument. Where Where do you think are the key sections of the race? when we're looking at the profile um actually already the 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 first cobble section obviously but not necessarily starting with the entry of the first cobble section but already a few kilometers out where you have a rather a narrow part uh, where where basically the the positioning for the first section is already done And then you need to stay calm and uh, survive as long as possible. And then before you come to Havelu, which is the section before uh, um, Arenberg, uh, is also usually a, a very, very important uh, section because there you make the pre-selection for Arenberg. And it's also a sector with a 90-degree corner in it. So if there is wind, uh, the wind will change that the... Uh, 
the wind direction will change so uh, it, the, the bunch can split again and usually there are also a few crashes and uh, everyone knows that the, the pre-final is uh, full on and then Arenberg obviously is uh, the most known or the most famous uh, sector of all of them and uh, from there on it's actually a elimination race like every sector is important you won't believe it like everyone is then talking about Monson Pevel or uh, uh, Carrefour de Labre but uh, you can lose the race uh, on every sector of those and this is really like uh, you always uh, think it's a cliche thing but uh, you cannot really win it anywhere but you can lose it everywhere and uh, this makes uh, Paris-Roubaix so special because it's really only one yeah when you are there, when you are at the velodrome. So with 150 kilometers into the race, the, the pre-final um, really starts? Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. You may have maybe a chance to, to come back, but uh, also this is very tricky because of all the cars and everything. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to describe. So uh, if you have a mechanical, if you have a puncture at the wrong place and you cannot get assistance... And this is also where the the zone hoppers are so important. Like uh, the zone hoppers are those guys, they jump basically from from sector to sector. They are small teams, mostly out of two. They are there with us for bidden, uh, with biddens and wheels. And in case we puncture, you try to push through to at least make it to them and you can... Uh, swap bikes or uh, mostly wheels uh, with them and you can continue because it usually takes ages uh, till the car arrives so uh, you you really need to time your punctures <laughs> good <laughs> it's also the hardest race to make it back after after puncture after mechanical yeah absolutely like i i, I was there in the in the early breakaway last year and i had the puncture uh, before the first sector and I had to change wheel with the with the neutral service uh, of Shimano. Everything went actually well. I had like 20 seconds, 25 seconds uh, uh, back and uh, I tried to chase back, but uh, it was uh, super tricky then because uh, uh, obviously I couldn't pass uh, the cars anymore because of the all the mud being on the road and uh, I basically had to stop. I could already see the brake. I couldn't return because I couldn't pass the car. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, horrible, but just just Paris-Roubaix, I guess. So now we come to the section for the bike nerds. So for Roubaix, our riders are going to be using a different setup. So can you tell us a little bit about that or how much can you actually tell us? Uh, you mentioned the Roubaix bike from Specialized. Um, how about chain rings, tire choice, pressure, handlebar tape, all of that kind of good stuff? Yeah, um, to be honest, like if you are a complete freak and really into these topics, like the the changes in the material aren't all too big anymore because uh, equipment just got so good. Like the most uh, notable uh, change in uh, in material was obviously the tire. Like uh, when you would would uh, if you would normally run a twenty six millimeter tire, we go now on uh, thirty two millimeters, and it's uh, I think every team now uh, riding tubeless tires. This just it gives you the chance of uh, reducing the tire pressure, and that again gives you a lot of uh, comfort on the on the cobbled sectors. 
but uh, there are also some guys who like to have like a double handlebar tape or they even tape their fingers or hands or whatever but i i, w I was always losing the most aerodynamic bike available and at the uh, big uh, tires reduce the pressure and uh, off you go you maybe need to be careful with bottle cages that uh, Uh, you're not losing all your bittens all the time so that they fit properly and the next thing is maybe with the gears you like to have a bigger chain ring uh, that you can uh, keep the keep the chain running in the middle of your cassette and also in case of the of a chain drop it's a kind of a advantage if you have a, a bigger a bigger chain ring uh, at least a 42 that it doesn't uh, drop completely and you can uh, maybe even get the chain back up on the big ring to continue is there a special saddle you use no no nothing like uh, as i said like last year i changed uh, really nothing on the bike and only uh choose the only chose the the wider tires and now in that year we have the the big advantage of actually having a a bike uh, specially made for that race with uh, having a little suspension even uh, ahead of, um, above the fork. So this is obviously the the thing we're going to do this year, but I will still have an aero handlebar. I will still have the same saddle, uh, same position, just wider tires and this uh, specialized bike uh, for Roubaix. You already tried the Roubaix bike on the covers? No, not at all. Um, uh, it will be uh, the day after... When we do the recon, then it's also like uh, fine-tuning the race material. Um, and what do you think about this in-race tire pressure management system that some teams are going to be introducing? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, obviously also only uh, heard it from the news and uh, um, I'm not 100% sure um, if this will work or not, but uh, If it does, it certainly makes sense and it's absolutely logic. I mean, uh, road cycling becomes more and more the, the Formula One. Like uh, you talk about uh, tires, aerodynamics, pressure, uh, suit material, everything is uh, really um, on top level now and, and very scientific. So uh, in my idea, this is just the next thing to come. Can it be a game changer on Sunday for some teams? It certainly could be. If it works, it uh, can be a game changer, yes. I mean, also, like I remember from back in the days uh, where uh, tubeless tires wasn't a thing yet. Um, I had uh, Luca Paulini, for example. He was riding the first uh, 90 kilometers or 80 kilometers uh, on a normal road bike with a normal setup and uh, 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 higher uh, tire pressure. And then uh, he would swap to his uh, setup for the cobbles. So this was also done in the past. When we talk about the covers again, the the brutal big covers of uh, Paris-Roubaix, is there some special way of uh, training this, uh, preparing for those uh, cover sections? No, nah, not really. I don't. Uh, I don't think you can uh, uh, really prepare. It. Obviously, what what's important is uh, having a certain knowledge of the parkour. But this is also, this is anyway done. Uh, but obviously, I mean, if you have a, a good stamina on the bike, it certainly helps you. And then I'd say um, we we see now uh, many times that guys from cyclocross sport uh, make the switch to road racing. 
with uh, Van der Poel, Van Aert and Pitcock being the prime example. And as you can see, they they tend to be very good in these uh, classic uh, kind of races. And that's just because they have uh, insanely good bike handling. And uh, so if you have a good bike, bike handling, you have certainly an advantage of, uh, of uh, uh, yeah, at these races and certainly a good point uh, to be to be stronger. Okay, so finally we have to ask about the weather. Do you think that's going to have any special influence on the race on the weekends? So it should be dry, unlike definitely unlike last year, the first wet Roubaix in a very, very long time. Um, but how about the wind or other factors? Is there anything that you think we should be aware of? I, Roubaix is certainly uh, one of those races where you keep checking the weather report also. But uh, like you said already at the moment, it looks like... Uh, it should be uh, only low wind, maybe no wind at all, and uh, perfect temperatures. Uh, uh, that could also mean that it becomes a little bit dusty, and this is also not uh, super perfect, actually, because like um, all the cars and motorbikes ahead of the race, they 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 get dust up in the air, and then uh, it also becomes a little bit annoying. So for me, I would always say like the, the, the dream scenario for Roubaix is like... Uh, 10 to 15 degrees and maybe a little rain the day before the race that you have the dust settled that would be for me the ideal scenario but as it looks now it should be uh, good in terms of weather because you mentioned the wet Roubaix from last year it's certainly one of those epic races I was kind of happy that I've been part of it but I'm also happy if I don't have to do it ever again What's the general approach of Boerohans Grove for Sunday? Any race tactics you want to share with us already no like i said already before we have a pretty open field like uh, it's not that we have one uh, uh main contender or main favorite now in our in our team so we can uh, ride it pretty pretty open maybe uh, shelter price was a good uh, example of uh, how we should approach uh, the races like all team need to be focused and ready to race and uh, at the end we just need to see who is left and uh, that it is that's Roubaix and you need to enjoy it that's also very important so thanks to both of you Marco and Andreas Marco thank you very much okay guys bye bye and also thanks to our listeners for tuning in again to the Band of Brothers podcast 